Hi there. Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast. This series is becoming part of the Legs Go programme developed by Ergo Medical and aims to help you become active in your healing. These are real and inspiring stories from leg ulcer patients. Why? Because you're not alone in your journey to healing. I was pregnant with my son and I developed a DVT um, when I was eight months pregnant and then another DVT just after he was born. Um, following this, the skin around my ankle was very thin and papery um, and a few years after that I knocked my ankle um, and that's where the ulcers actually began. The first ulcer I got at that time healed quite quickly within 12 weeks, which obviously felt like a long time at the beginning. But then a few years after that, it came back again, and that one took about 15 years to heal. I'd never never even heard of leg ulcers. Um, at the beginning, I just knew I had a sore on my ankle that wouldn't heal. Um, and I did actually go to the pharmacy and ask for advice, and they just gave me some dressings at the time. It wasn't until I went to the GP that I got referred to the vascular clinic. And luckily for me, I was referred to a vascular nurse that was really good. Um, and so I, I did have good care throughout that 15 years. Well, the first time, as I say, it, it did heal within the 12 week sort of target that they sort of said. Because I remember when they first said to me at the time, you've actually got a leg ulcer. And, and it was briefly explained to me what that was. It should take about 12 weeks to heal. I remember thinking... 12 weeks, why? You know, I didn't understand all the effect of, of the vein damage I had to my leg and why it was causing this ulcer. Because obviously I just thought, well, you could break a bone and it would heal in that time. So at this time I was sort of in my early 20s and I just remember thinking it was very strange that there was an ulcer that wouldn't heal. So they started with the compression bandaging, uh, the four layer bandaging, and I would have to go up to the clinic every week um, to have my leg redressed and washed. And at that time, I had two young children, so it was it was tough to, to go up to the clinic every week for appointments and everything and trying to fit that around childcare. I remember just feeling, I'm very uncomfortable before it was diagnosed as a leg ulcer. I remember it was constantly leaking into my shoe. Um, and at the time I was having driving lessons and I just felt terribly embarrassed that I had this wound that was so smelly. As, as, as I say, I didn't know it was a leg ulcer at the time. I just thought, why is this happening? Because I would put just a normal plaster on it and within half an hour, it would all be leaking again into my shoe. Um, so I remember feeling quite self-conscious about that. And then obviously I was self-conscious when I had the bandaging on. But at that time, I just thought, oh, well, it's 12 weeks. You know, I'll just look at it as a broken bone or something. And then that would be it. I never, I never anticipated that following that a few years later, I would end up having it for so much longer. I was obviously then going to the clinic every week and they were doing the four-layer bandaging. So it impacted in lots of areas of my life and definitely on how I looked after the children and also what I could do with the children. Um, for instance, I couldn't do anything that involved any kind of different footwear. So, you know, if they wanted to go roller skating or ice skating, I couldn't have done that with them. I couldn't go swimming with them um, because obviously introducing infection into the wound and, and not having it dressed, I couldn't have done that. Anything where I was on my feet for too long, any kind of 
impact things. So anything where you're sort of wrestling around with the children in soft play area, for instance, I couldn't do anything like that. Um, so yeah, it left me feeling really quite inadequate as a as a mum. Although I was a young mum, I wasn't able to do all the things I wanted to do and that other people my age and with, with children, the age that my children were, were able to do with their children. It did make me feel terrible and as if I was letting them down because they would say, oh, you know, mummy, can we go here? And quite often I'd have to say, well, I can't. I'll have to ask, um, you know, dad, if he can take time off work and, and he can maybe take you or I'd have to ask somebody else to do it. But yeah, so it made me feel like I wasn't doing my job properly as a mum. That was really hard mentally because on top of that, because I was training to be a nurse before all of this happened, before I had my first deep vein thrombosis, I did try and go back to nursing and I wasn't able to do it because of the amount of time standing. And so I already felt like I'd been inadequate in my career. And now I was also feeling like I was inadequate as a mum because I didn't have the career side. And I'm sure most people feel like this anyway. You know, I wanted to be the best mum I could be and I wanted to put everything into it. But my leg was stopping me doing that. My vascular nurse has been really good throughout and I probably used to cry every time I went. Every week when I'd go for my appointment, I'd end up crying because she was just so nice and then she'd say, oh, how are the kids? And then it would start me off feeling upset. So I was able to talk to her. I did find, although I did feel depressed with them or feeling inadequate, I also found that the children kept me going in a way. So I was able to sort of keep myself from going into a full depression. I would like to think that I could speak to friends and family if it had got any worse. You know, like my close family knew how much it got me down. Um, I didn't speak to any clinicians about feeling down about everything because I tried to have a positive attitude about it. And so whenever I was feeling really sorry for myself, I, I always made a rule that I wouldn't wallow in that sort of pity and I, I would always try and think about people that were even worse off than myself. And I did find for me that made me put things in perspective and sort of just carry on another day. Um, and then, as I said, the children, when they were young, they needed me to get up every day. They needed to get to school every day. They needed me to make a packed lunch. And I think those those things really kept me going. I wasn't able to go out to work every day and so that was I just wanted to put my all into them as much as I could and and my husband of course because we do um he set up his own business around 20 years ago so we did I, I was doing the admin side for that as well so I was needed in that respect as well um which also kept me going I think it's really important that even though you have these chronic conditions that you find a purpose and that you're able to try and continue with those things that you're doing because I do think that it makes you carry on and not get to a point where you're, you know, you're going into depression. I remember quite clearly when I had the compression bandaging on, the only footwear I could get on was a pair of flip-flops that had like an adjustable strap. Um, and I was having to wear them in all weathers. So I remember walking the children to school because I couldn't drive at that time. 
and I was having to walk in these flip-flops in the snow. So I do remember really clearly not being able to get footwear. For me, when I swapped the compression hosiery, my life was improved a lot when it came to footwear. Because then, although I still had the ulcer on my ankle, I, I could quite easily find low-fitting shoes. So things like Converse flat sort of trainers didn't rub on my ankle, or even backless trainers, mules, all those kind of things. I was then able to get onto my feet because the rest of my foot was a normal shape. I think with four-layer bandaging, it gets so wide on your foot that it's really, really difficult to find footwear that fits over it. And I was offered shoes, like a special sort of orthopaedic shoe with a Velcro and everything. But, you know, I was 23, 24, throughout my 20s, really. And it's not... I don't want to sound like I'm being shallow about it, but I was already suffering enough with feeling like I wasn't normal for my age with having such a sort of what's seen as an old older person's illness. I didn't want to wear a special shoe as well. So I, I was offered something by the hospital um, that would have probably been more practical than a flip-flop. But as for normal footwear, that's the only thing I could find. I think my mind has blocked out just how bad it was. And that sort of scares me because I think if it comes back in the future, what if I can't cope with it as well because the children are older and I haven't got that thing to sort of keep me going? But yeah, the pain was intense. It was chronic. It was as soon as I opened my eyes in the morning and, and then often, often I couldn't sleep because of the pain. For about six months or more, I couldn't even get upstairs. The pain was that bad. So I remember having to sleep on the sofa. Couldn't really do anything. I was on a lot of pain relief, which obviously meant when I was looking after the children, I didn't really feel safe. And I remember quite often just sort of settling down to watch a film and falling asleep with two young children in the house. You know, when I think back, anything could have happened because I was so sort of dosed up with these pain relief just to be able to get through the day um, that I probably wasn't safe to look after children. But you've got to do what you've got to do. If I hadn't had that pain relief, I wouldn't have been able to function. It's as simple as that. And when I think, when people sort of say, oh, I don't want pain relief, it's all right, I won't take any painkillers. I think, well, your pain's not that bad then. Because I'm telling you, when you're in that amount of pain, you'll take as much as you can take. <laughs> and I scared myself sometimes because I would, before I could drive, as I said earlier, I was learning to drive when all this started and it had to be put on hold. But before I could drive, I used to take eight ibuprofen before I could even get the children out the door. And that's a day's amount. You shouldn't take more than a, that in a day. And I was taking that before eight in the morning. You know, so when I think back to the damage I could have done to my body, you know, it is quite frightening to think I was in that much pain. And thankfully, as I said, my brain's kind of blocked it out. I think it's a bit like childbirth where you sort of like, you don't remember just how bad it is. Um, the main thing for me with the pain, with it being in my left leg, it would just be like a constant throbbing. And quite often the only way to, to relieve that pain was to elevate my leg as high as possible. If I ever was standing for a period of time or sitting, um, because wherever, you know, when you're at home, you can put your legs up and you're always told to elevate your legs and that's great, but you're not always at home. And they used to say to me, oh, well, put your head above your heart. At that time, you know, I think I had a one-year-old and a, a five-year-old. And I thought, I can't just be laying on the floor with my foot up in the air. You know, you can't always do it. But definitely for me, as soon as I did elevate my leg, 
the pain would definitely be eased. But as I say, it's fitting it around your life and you can't always do that. I can't think of what else I would have been able to do to relieve the pain because it was it was all consuming at that time. Because it was a constant throbbing pain, it was hard to concentrate on anything else, to be quite honest. He understood as much as somebody who hasn't been through it understood. He was always really supportive. And I had a constant feeling of being a disappointment because I couldn't do what I wanted as a mother and I also couldn't do what I wanted as a woman to, sorry, to, to contribute to running the house. And I couldn't go out to work every day. And yet I was having to watch him work harder than he would have had to because he was having to provide for obviously myself and my ch our children as well. So that was really hard, just constantly feeling inadequate. And I think as much as he supported and loved me, he also felt a little bit of resentment just because he was getting up so early every day and coming back so late every day, working weekends. And as I say, it's our own business, so there's a lot of paperwork to do. So working seven days a week, it's, it's really hard. And I think as much as you love somebody, you do feel a bit like, oh, I can't keep taking this on by myself. So that created a bit of tension between us, really, you know, in, in all honesty. And we are still together now, and it is, it's been hard at times having that sort of chronic condition in our relationship. And certainly, I didn't feel like I was able to be a proper wife a lot of times because he'd say, come on, you know, should we go out as a couple? Let's have a date night or whatever. But I never felt as if I could sort of get dressed up and, and go out because I'd always felt so unattractive, having the bandage on my leg, having a smelly wound, not being able to wear heels, not being able to wear the clothes I wanted to wear because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't wear a skirt and I'd put on weight, obviously, with being immobile. So I always felt that sense of being a disappointment. And I think when it comes to intimacy as well, which is something is not discussed very much, it's, it's hard to feel attractive when you've got this on your leg and you're in pain and there's certain positions you can't get yourself into. And there's certain... It's hard to feel anything else when you're feeling that pain. It's hard to relax. And so I do think it probably affected our relationship in that way as well. My social life was massively affected, I think. I didn't have a life as a normal sort of... A woman in her 20s and 30s would have had because... I was also blessed with the fact that I'm allergic to makeup. So I couldn't even sort of really get dressed up with my hair and makeup because the other issue is if you've got a chronic leg pain, you don't want to sit in a hairdresser's chair. It's really uncomfortable. So I didn't used to go and get my hair done. I've never had my nails done. I'm allergic to makeup. <laughs> I couldn't wear skirts. I couldn't wear nice shoes. So consequently, I didn't want to go out where I was surrounded by people that were going to make me feel even more inadequate. So, uh, yeah, my social life was basically nothing. But holidays, we've taken as a family, but it has been always sort of fit around what, what I can and can't do. So more often than not, we would go to a villa abroad, normally Cyprus, and we'd just be away from everybody because I'd be so self-conscious. I wouldn't be able to just go and go in a hotel where there's loads of other people because I felt so embarrassed about how my leg looked and how I looked, myself having put on so much weight. 
So obviously the children probably did miss out on all the activity clubs and holiday clubs that they probably could have had. So things like that definitely affected it. And then I'd have to be really careful when we were there. Obviously on the plane, I'd have to think very carefully about moving my, my feet constantly on the plane, although I obviously did have compression and I would have been on the anticoagulant as well. I still wanted to be doubly sure that I, because the last thing I wanted was another DVT. And then with swimming pools when we were there, I've tried loads of different things over the years, um, like plastic coverings and things that are supposed to keep your leg dry. I haven't found one that works. But then I'd obviously be really careful about just keeping my leg as clean as possible. So yeah, it was always, always largely dependent on what I could and couldn't do. Um, I remember one time we went to Lapland when the kids were small we had to wear all the winter gear. So when you get there, you're taken to this place and they sort of fit you with a snowsuit and snow boots and everything. Um, I'm a size eight normally, and I had to wear a size 10 boot just to get over the dressings and the stockings that I had on at that time because I sort of padded out my ankle to be extra careful because I didn't want to bang it on anything. So things like that, you know, you really have to think about how is this going to work. And definitely it stopped us doing a lot of things over the years. about the smell as well I remember one time I actually took some air freshener with us in the car so as soon as we got to the airport I could spray my leg because I felt so self-conscious obviously you can't take them on the plane with you but I was just so worried about the smell of my leg I remember one year it was particularly bad and I was so self-conscious so anybody sort of looking around on the plane I just automatically thought it's me that can smell my leg you know I feel terrible and another time the pain got worse when I was on holiday and I did have to go and find a local chemist and try and get some pain relief from the chemist so that was another thing where it would put people it would put people off traveling because they would think what if what if and I don't honestly think when it was at its worst I could have gone on holiday and and that's a shame because that's been some of our happiest times as a family is when we've actually been able to go and yes it has limited what we've done and actually when my leg healed we went to Florida that year and we had an amazing time but we walked for miles every day I couldn't have done that when the children were small you know, we ended up taking them when they were 14 and 19 because <laughs> when really you want to take children a lot younger than that, if you can, to go to somewhere like Orlando and to Disneyland. So we sort of, they sort of missed that magic in a way because it was put on hold because of my leg. How are you feeling about things now? Do you still feel the same about yourself? Yeah, in a lot of ways I do, because now, because I've had so long of not being able to pursue the career I wanted and being at home with the children, which I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't swap the children for the world, but now it's put me in a position now where I haven't got the experience or the qualifications that I need to now go out and get myself that career. So I've recently been looking at getting a job and I, I just, I put my sort of work experience down and I know that we've got our own business, but it doesn't really count for a lot when you haven't got reference, you haven't got anybody you can use as a, a referee to give you a reference. You don't feel like you've got the qualifications you need. And I'm up against people, if they are my age, you know, they will have degrees, they will have had 20 years work experience. It makes it difficult for me and it puts me in the same bracket really as somebody who's just left school. So I still feel as inadequate as I did then, even though my leg has now healed. Obviously, as I said, I've also put on weight over the years. I wasn't overweight when all this started. And I think quite often 
The other thing that's assumed is that if you're overweight, you've kind of not bought it on yourself, but you've increased your risk of having a leg ulcer or a venous disease. And a lot of things are linked with um, an unhealthy lifestyle. But for me, it wasn't. I was one of the unlucky ones that got a DVT when I was pregnant, but I wasn't overweight. But obviously years of being immobile and comfort eating to a point, because there's nothing else you can do when you've got nothing to look forward to. I have put on weight and I think I still feel those that lack of confidence in myself because I don't have the right clothes, you know, I don't <laughs> and I don't feel like I can go out there and get a job because I don't have confidence in myself. I do try and look on the bright side whenever I can. So, yes, I haven't got a career at my age and I would have liked to have had. I haven't got a pension in place. You know, as a family, as a couple, myself and my husband are not in the position that we thought we'd be in 20 years ago. You know, friends of ours have paid off the mortgages or have, have a nice little pension pot. We haven't got that. And it is largely due to the fact that there's only been one of us working. And so it is hard to think, oh, God, you know, this is all because of what's happened to me. However, I always think to myself it could be worse. You know, there are people out there that have lost so much more and I've got a loving family. I've got wonderful children. I've got a happy home. I've got more in my life. And the stuff that I do for the Legs Matter campaign, you know, it does, it does give me hope and it keeps me going because I think, well, if, we, if I can help to change things for other people and just make people more aware of all the issues that leg ulceration can bring to a person. I just think that I can get some good out of doing that, even though I haven't been able to get the nursing career I wanted. Perhaps I could still do some good. I didn't know anybody else that had ever had one. Um, I didn't know anybody else that was dealing with one, and I didn't know how to get in touch with anybody else that was dealing with a leg ulcer. I did used to go to the clinic every week, but I was probably the youngest one in there by 40, 50 years. And you don't really get to speak to the other patients because you're there just in the waiting room and then you get called through. Um, so I think a support group or something like that would be great. And I really wish Legs Matter had been around and, and all the National Wound Care stuff as well when I'd had the leg ulcer, because I don't feel like, you know, in those days, and well, well let me think, sort of 2005-ish, um, when it was probably at its worst, I don't think there was all that information available to patients. The children will just always remember me having a problem with my leg, if they ever think back to their childhood, because it was always there. It was always a feature. And one thing that used to bother me about the children, and if you speak to them, they would never say this, but they, if they were asked at school, you know, what do your parents do as a job? I used to find it heartbreaking that they would say, oh, my dad's an engineer and my mum, she's at home. And I'd think, I'm doing more than that. You know, as a mum, you know, when you're looking after the house and children, you do so much more than just be at home. But obviously I was running the business as well, along with my husband. But I feel like children don't see things like that. And I was never really a thing. I never really had a job title. Um, so for me, that that really bothered me um, but as I say if you if you asked either of my children now they would not say that they would say that you know my mum still managed to do everything with us and I remember once we did ask my daughter what her earliest memory of my leg was and she she um, spoke about a time when my leg was leaking everywhere but I still got on and made her pack lunch for her for school <laughs> so that's what she remembers 
you know. So, so I think children definitely have a different perspective. But yeah, they, they remember it. They remember me being in a lot more pain than I am now. I'm not on any painkillers now, which is great. I can walk the dogs for five miles or more every day, which is great, and I really enjoy doing it. My life is a hundred times better. But as I say, it does worry me about how I would cope if it ever came back. And I do have that fear. And it's a real, it's a real fear because it's likely to happen at some point. I don't want to spend another 15 years being in that position that I was in before. And I do still have aching legs and I do still have to wear compression every single day, no matter what the weather. So it is very real to me now and I am still living with it. But I just thank God every day that it's given me a few years and, and any extra days that I get now as healed, I'm happy to have. You just listened to the Let's Go Share Your Story podcast. For more information on how you can become an actor of your healing, visit the Ergo Medical website at www.ergomedical.com.